Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries, a Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. You're listening to Hacks for Life. I'm Galen Jones, your host, and I'm here with Scott Rahi, a dear friend, and we're just talking about the the idea of Jesus being an actual historical figure, uh, somebody that actually lived on this planet. So um, I know that that for some that may sound like, oh gosh, that's just kind of that's obvious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course he did. There, there is a large population that um, makes a, a arguments for a different uh, case. So, and we're kind of chatting about that. So, yeah. go ahead. And what we're doing, this is the third part of this so far, where we're talking basically about the people who say that Jesus never existed. And we're talking about Ken Humphreys. He's got a website called JesusNeverExisted.com, and he has a video on YouTube where he's being interviewed, and I think the video is called The Top Ten Reasons Jesus Never Existed. And we're working through those. We've gotten through the first three, so we're just going to jump into four. If you want to hear the first three, listen to the previous conversation. But number four on this list, um, he says, why are things like Nazareth and even Jesus himself relatively unknown? He makes the point that they're kind of obscure. And um, I've heard the claim from other people saying, look, if, like, for example, the, the children being slaughtered in Bethlehem that's in the Bible whenever Herod, um, whenever Jesus escapes to Egypt, he gets mad. He, gets, he says, let's kill all the newborn males two mm-hmm. years old and under. Why is that not in, the, in history? I mean, do you think somebody would write that into history? That's what he's talking about. And I think in the case of the, the, of the, the slaughter of the unborn in Bethlehem, it's because it's a fairly small community. And there were probably a fairly small number of people, and it was probably not a gigantic event that was noticed outside of Bethlehem. And they um, didn't have internet. They didn't have the internet back then. This is true. This is true. They didn't have the. They ability. couldn't ping somebody. Yeah, they didn't. You know, it was not like. That's know. right. Let me let me text over here. That doesn't happen. So what? He, but what he says, it gets kind of, it gets really loopy, really quick, really fast every time he comes up with one of these, because he says. They claim that they found Nazareth. And you remember we've talked about mm-hmm, this, the mm-hmm. archaeology. Here, right, here's right. Nazareth. We found it. Well, they claim they found it, but it's a fake Nazareth. It's not a real Nazareth. It's like Disney World. It's a place for people to walk around and see stuff, and they claim that that's really it. That's not real. That's not really Nazareth. It's just made up. Now, when somebody's going to take that position, is it does that increase their credibility or not? You know, In my mind, it's like, okay, here's the evidence. Well, that's not real evidence. Well, here's the other. It's not real. It's not. The sun's in the sky. No, it's not. In, you know, it's that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's doing here. And he says, um, there was Nazareth might have just been a farm with a couple of families, but it certainly wasn't a town. Didn't have a synagogue. It was just all fakery. So this is his fourth reason why Jesus didn't exist, that there's fakery. And he's just inventing the fakery. Notice that. <laughs> but that's his fourth reason. Fifth reason, I'm going to try and go a little faster with some of these. Where are the places where Jesus supposedly visited and did miracles? All of them are, and this is a quote, suspiciously vague. And what he points out is that multiple sites that are in the Bible where Jesus went aren't really known. Some of them haven't been found, and some some of them are like, well, there's several possible sites that these may have occurred. And he says, that's that's proof that, they, that they're just made up. Well, if you ask an archaeologist... 98% of the ancient Near East hasn't been dug up yet. And, of course, they're, you know, they don't know everything. They don't know exactly where everything is. They're trying to connect it with these ancient documents. And in some cases, they have found, they found actual things like, for example, Nazareth. 
But in other cases, maybe they haven't found. I don't know what specific events he's talking about. I mean, I don't know if Cana of Galilee has been found. I don't know if um, is it the village of Nain or whatever it was where Jesus raised the the son of the the widow to whenever he saw the funeral procession. Um, I don't. But I mean, maybe some of them haven't been found. But again, hey, it hasn't been found. Therefore, Jesus doesn't exist. We would know. We would call that an argument from silence. If you don't find it, it must not be there, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's never a good argument. We've shown that many times. Yeah, we've covered that. When and that's we... why I'm saying as you go through this, you can reference back, well, that's not right for this reason. That's not right for yeah. this reason. And that's why it's so cool to see some of these and go, huh, the previous stuff actually helps me here. Yeah. I don't have to go through it again. Right. You know? um, and then he says, and I find this probably the most remarkable thing he says. He goes, what does Jesus say that is so profound? Jesus didn't say anything. <laughs> Jesus didn't say anything that was all that interesting. He says, "Love everybody." That's not a big deal, and it's so impractical. You can't love everybody. Nobody's going to love everybody. It's just a trite saying. He goes, "If you want real deep thought, go to the Greek philosophers. Go to all these different places. Go to the ancient uh, uh, philosophers in, say, China and things like this." But Jesus is just saying these little trite sayings and. It, it's just it's just not uh, you know not not a big deal Jesus didn't do anything of any real merit which is really funny given that I mean he changed the course of the world with the things that he said he changed the course of history and uh, but this is his real this is his his next reason which is really weird to me he didn't say anything that Ken Humphreys finds all that interesting, therefore he must not exist. That doesn't really connect up, <laughs> right? It doesn't well, make any sense at all. You know, I, I think um, that there would be a lot of people that would disagree with you if we have things like the Sermon on the Mount right. that are extremely profound, yeah. and we know as humans that that's what we want to do, right? but we, we can't seem to can't get there. do it. Right. Um, but just because we can't do it doesn't mean it's not profound. Because right. we, I think, most of us would go, "What? Um, wouldn't it be great if we could just get along?" Yep. And then we're going to achieve that. Jesus gives gives us the formula. Yeah. How to do it? Yeah. But Nobody's uh, going to live that way, though. You know, they, we can't. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. So the seventh reason is he says Paul basically took this half-formed idea of Christianity, and people said, oh, it's not all that well-baked, it's not all that robust, it's not all that mature, and then so Paul steps in and says, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to recreate it, I'm going to change it, and I'm going to make it more um, attractive to people, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to found congregations and churches around so we can get this money to start flowing in. And so Paul basically comes in and changes the story and made his own gospel, or, or sorry, made his own uh, Jesus, and it's reflected in all of his letters and that sort of thing. He says, um, Jesus was not a real person to Paul. And we'll talk about this more later. I mentioned earlier in a previous one how some people say, well, Jesus was this sort of cosmic being, mm-hmm. uh, but he never was a human on earth. You know, he says, well, Paul doesn't think that. The thing, and he says, Paul, you know, we don't hear about the 12 apostles. Um, we don't hear about all these different things. The thing that I find really interesting about him, I heard this several years ago, 
You remember in 1 Corinthians where Paul goes into great detail about the communion service. Mm-hmm. He does it because he's correcting the misuse of it, how people are going early and getting drunk and mm-hmm. there's nothing left for other ones. And the, the point is made, if Paul was not correcting that communion service, there are skeptics out there who, because it wouldn't be, Paul wouldn't probably have, would have not talked about it at all if he wasn't correcting these people. So it might not have even been in the Corinthian letter. There, there are skeptics out there who would say, Paul didn't mention communion, therefore he didn't have anything to do with communion. Communion didn't happen. Just because Paul doesn't mention something does not mean that Paul didn't mention it, therefore it doesn't happen. Yeah. Paul didn't mention it, therefore it doesn't exist. That's, again, it's an argument from silence, and it's poor reasoning. It's just, you know, you can't make that. I mean, he makes the leap, but um, it's not reasonable uh, to make the link. And but it, and you know, for the unsuspecting mind, for for some that are searching for truth but really don't have any kind of foundation for uh, these types of arguments. Yeah. Um, they can be baffling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my uh, one of the things in, in conversations my, with my, my wife and I have had, and, and she would often, often say, well, Galen, I can't go toe-to-toe with you just because I can't think that quickly off the top of my head. Yeah. And so there's some things sometimes that I could say to her that would just leave her kind of stumped. Yeah. And, and this is kind of what happens yeah. when you hear some of this. And you go, wow! I've never, maybe, gosh, maybe that's true. And then, exactly. then it can take us down a negative mm-hmm. uh, uh, pathway of thought and just destroy our faith. And people are scared to take that and go, "I'm going to test and see if that's true," because yeah. they go, they're worried that maybe it will end up being true. Yeah, and it's not true. And if I mean, I did all of this and I looked into it myself, going, "Okay, that's nonsense." Next, that's nonsense, and you know, we'll get to it. Um, so. The next one I find really interesting. Uh, he says, Paul's story in Damascus seems false. Maybe it's a retelling of the Moses story when he was put in the basket and he was put into the Nile River. It, he's talking about Second Corinthians 11, where Paul is spirited out of Damascus. Mm-hmm. King, King Aretas was trying to find him to kill him, and they snuck Paul out in a basket. And these people are saying, look... Um, King Aretas didn't rule over over Damascus, and um, so that proves the Bible is fiction. So I'm like, and this is what this is to the point that you mentioned. Okay, I could take what they said. Oh, King Aretas wasn't over Damascus, so hey, this is a fictional thing in Second Second Corinthians. Uh oh, maybe they're right. Maybe their historical knowledge is right. Well, here's what I did. I, I thought let's just let's just test the waters on this. So I went. And I found an article called The Apostle Paul in Arabia. It's within the Biblical Archaeological Society website, which is a very respected scholarly um, group of people. And I'm going to read you a section from it. Um, It says, another biblical passage seems to support the idea that Paul preached while in Arabia. In 2 Corinthians 11.32, Paul says that King Aretas tried to arrest him in Damascus. This refers to King Aretas IV, who ruled Nabatea from 9 B.C. to 40 C.E., so 9 B.C. to 40 A.D. Why would the Nabatean king have known about Paul and wanted to arrest him? Witherington thinks, there's a guy named Ben Witherington, who's a Christian scholar, a good guy to read, and he's obviously referring to him. Witherington thinks it's likely that Paul came to the king's attention while preaching in Nabatea. The best bet is that Paul had tried out his gospel in Arabia 
uh, and the king wanted to arrest him for promulgating a non-Nabataean religion in his in his territory without permission. So what are they telling us? There's a king, Aretas IV, who was the ruler over Damascus and was trying to catch Paul exactly as the Bible said. <laughs> now, I decided to go ahead and look up what are the Nabataeans because people might think, what on earth is that? So I, just real quick, I pulled it from, there's an article um, Called, there's, a, there's a website called Nabatea.net, interestingly enough, <laughs> and it's called Who Were the Nabataeans? It says, at its peak, the Nabataeans, the Nabataean influence stretched from modern-day Yemen to Damascus and from western Iraq into the Sinai Desert. Uh, Arab literature from that much later Islamic period mentions that there were at least two distinct groups of Nabataeans in the Middle East at that time. First, there was the group of Nabataeans from Iraq. Uh, second, there were the uh, Nabat al-Sham, or Nabataeans of Damascus. Remember, Nabataeans. King Aretas was tied to the Nabataeans. Nabataeans of <laughs> Damascus. And here's the last line. As you will discover later, the Nabataeans controlled Damascus during the time of the Apostle Paul. So these people are just saying this, just throwing this information out there. And if you're timid, you go, oh, they must be right. Let me move on. Yeah. What they yeah. said is wrong. And all you got to do is a little research and go, well, that's proof that they're wrong. Let's just you know move on from that. There's no reason to be scared of these people. There's no reason to be scared of the information they throw out because anything that challenges the Bible, I promise you it's not going to be right. Does that yeah. make sense? No, oh, yeah. I, I um, have been using some AI, yeah. playing around yeah. with it. It's interesting what AI says about – I bet you could – I haven't tried this, but yeah. these names you could say, tell me about – yeah, probably able to so say about so. all of them. Yeah. Because the ones I've checked into are historically, I mean, it's it, it's um, correct information. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know. So now we're at number nine. I'm very excited we're getting to the end. And he this is when he gets into the more common stuff, goes back to what Bill Maher talked about. He says, there's, there's so many parallels of Jesus with other ancient stories. Um, parallels with Dionysus. Horus, etc. He says it proves that Jesus was just an amalgamation of these other stories. Um, he said he talks about Josephus, and we're going to get into Josephus in a little bit. He says Josephus includes. Um, I mean, they, they kind of go back and forth. They say, look, Josephus talks about other people named Jesus, and hey, there are other Jesuses out there. So the Jesus of Nazareth probably wasn't real, but these other Jesuses that, that Josephus mentions are real. And you look at that at the very first one. He, Josephus mentions four Jesuses among his listing of 28 high priests from the reign of Herod to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It was Jesus ben Fiabi, Jesus ben Sek, Jesus ben Demnaeus, Jesus ben Gamaliel. One of the Jesuses against Vespasian turned uh, during the Jewish Jewish war was a fisherman so they assumed that this must be the parallel of Jesus being the fisher of men i mean it's it staggers the imagination how little thinking these people put into this now here's the thing that's interesting is is that a big deal that there's four priests named Jesus no is there is it odd that there are multiple people here in Dallas named Scott no cuz it's a common name Jesus was a common name back then it was in 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 uh, greek it's yeshua which was better translated as Joshua. And, yeah, there were a lot of people named that. There's no, Who cares that there's multiple Jesuses? Yeah. That doesn't undermine anything. It's but, not like my name. 
you know, like Galen, there's, there's only one Galen. There, there's there's not too many Galen. Only one of you out there, that's for sure. And that may be a good thing. I don't know. And he goes and he, he very briefly sort of touches on this idea that Jesus is a retelling of Horace and Dionysus. And we'll get we'll get into some of that here in a bit. And the last one was, and this is just the, I, you know, it, Christian forgeries and later attempts to build a fiction over time. He says, he talks about Eusebius and how he wrote the church histories about AD 400. He's like, yeah, these guys are just sitting down and, oh, let's retell. Let's just make stuff up. And, and these people are all consciously just making fictions up. Oh, let me just tell a fake story. And the thing that's so funny about this is you'll hear these people at the same time say, well, they're just Bronze Age sheep herders that weren't very smart and at the same time almost in the same breath they'll say they were clever enough to craft the most (laughs) intricate global conspiracy that has survived for two thousand years without anybody being able to undermine it either they're either they're dumb farmers or they're absolute conspiracy geniuses you know no you can't keep a conspiracy like this going it's impossible and it's just there's no value there's no reason to believe there's absolutely no value at all so richard carrier you know i talked earlier about how there were some people with some actual credentials ken humphreys is not someone with with credentials um but richard carrier is he's actually got a doctorate in history and ancient history i think and so people point at him and say he's an actual scholar He's not somebody that is just kind of a, a kook that's out there. You know, no, they don't believe any of these are kooks, but they really think Richard Carrier is kind of that's their version of the second coming. You know, Richard Carrier is their hero. Um, he is a, he's a young guy. He's you can find him and he's an interesting guy to listen to. But he believes um, like he, he's he's drawn the conclusion that Jesus is mythical. He believes that the Gospels are unreliable. And he believes that the only documents that we can take seriously are Paul's letters because, you know, they're they're the kind of Paul eyewitness talking about this. He draws a lot of his conclusions from a guy named Neil Doherty. And Neil Doherty is um, he, he's a, he's just kind of one of these authors. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about him later just to give you a sense of who he is. But that is the sort of the source that he draws from. And I've got a quote of his. Um, it's taken out of an article from crossexamine.org. Do you remember the book at the beginning where we said, uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist? Yes. Yeah. Crossexamined.org is the website that's tied to Frank Turek's ministry, and Frank Turek's the author of that book. So if you want to read this, it's called Did Jesus Exist? A Critical Appraisal of Richard Carrier's Interpretation of the Pauline Corpus. Corpus being like mm-hmm. the, wor- the, letters. the works mm-hmm. that he wrote. And here's, here's this is a quote from that article says having rejected the gospels and acts as reliable documents carrier maintains that the letters of paul are the best sources that bear on the question of the historicity of jesus he however contends that the letters of paul fail to unequivocally refer to jesus as a historical person who walked the earth instead argues carrier paul viewed jesus as a celestial being inhabiting a spiritual realm from outer space uh, in which he was crucified by demons and subsequently resurrected. Carrier's thesis is, in fact, not a new idea, but one which was originally proposed by Neil Doherty, to whom Carrier owes uh, much of his work. Now, the article goes on and it says, you know, Carrier, I'm not quoting from here, but this is kind of my summary. Carrier fails to deal with numerous places in Paul's letters where he does place Jesus on earth as a man and not simply a celestial being. And I, let me just go through these really quick. This is the quote from the the same article, but I'll just read through it. Paul tells us that Jesus was born of the seed of David, Romans 1, 3. 
that he was born of a woman, born under the law, Galatians 4.4, that he delivered teachings about divorce, 1 Corinthians 7.10, that he was betrayed, 1 Corinthians 11.23, that he had a last supper, 1 Corinthians 11.23-26, that he had brothers, Galatians 1.19, 1 Corinthians 9.5, that he had 12 disciples, 1 Corinthians 15.5, that he was crucified by the rulers of this age, 1 Corinthians 2.8, and that he was killed by the Jews, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13-16, and that he was buried. All of these point to Jesus being on earth in a you know, physical form. Yeah, it would sound like he's on the planet to me. He's not just a <laughs> celestial being. And that's actually one of the points that Bart Ehrman makes when he's talking to these atheists, saying here's the reason that we believe Jesus was historical. Paul knew Jesus' brother. He knew Jesus' uh, best friend, Peter. He is abundantly attested in the early sources, and all of these things are examples of what it is. So, um, And you would even think, I'm going to go back to Luke, um, because Luke traveled with Paul. Right. And the things that Luke understood probably about Jesus, probably most of them probably came from probably Paul. Probably came from Paul, yeah. That's a good point. Um, Paul or Peter one. Yeah. So what, what we'll do is let's stop here. And then um, I want to talk a little bit about Joseph Atwill. We've got some others to go through. Eventually, we're going to get through this and start responding to it, but we're not quite through with the critics yet. Okay. Sounds good. Look forward to it. You've been listening to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. The James Group is a nonprofit Christ-centered organization that seeks to serve the community by offering skilled caring support for anyone in need. For help, call 972-243-4673. That's 972-243-4673. For questions and comments, email Galen at jamesgroupministries.net. That's G-A-L-O-N at jamesgroupministries.net. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hacks for Life with Galen Jones.